Welcome to the Association of Insurance Compliance Professionals podcast. AICP serves the insurance compliance community by promoting relationships, exchanging information, and providing learning opportunities within a dynamic regulatory environment. You're listening to Compliance and the Internet with Katie Gurnett and Dan Cotter. Katie is the Compliance Manager of Advertising for Physicians Mutual Insurance Company and has worked in the insurance industry for over 30 years. She has experience with property and casualty, life, annuity, and health products from inception to marketing. Katie's advertising review team is responsible for reviewing all company advertising for compliance and working with state insurance departments to gain approval. She is a past president of AICP and has held many positions within the organization. Katie is a seasoned presenter for seminars for AICP and the Society of Actuaries. She has been a guest lecturer for Creighton University and College of St. Mary in Omaha, Nebraska. She has a BS in math and MBA from Creighton University, as well as numerous industry designations. Daniel Cotter is attorney and counselor at Howard & Howard Attorneys, PLLC. Dan focuses his practices in a variety of areas of corporate law and litigation, primarily on insurance law, including complex business disputes and counseling, employment law, corporate transactions, corporate governance and compliance, and cybersecurity and privacy law. His clients benefit from his diverse professional experience, which, in addition to his years serving as trusted outside counsel, includes positions as a corporate accountant and an in-house attorney. He spent almost 17 years in-house at insurance organizations where he focused on insurance, regulatory, technology, IT, compliance, and transactional matters. Dan served as president of the Chicago Bar Association for the 2014-2015 bar year and as former chair of the Young Lawyers section of the CBA. Dan was an adjunct professor at the John Marshall Law School and has taught insurance law, accounting for lawyers, and SCOTUS judicial biography. Dan graduated summa cum laude from the John Marshall Law School and received his BA in accounting from Monmouth College, magna cum laude. Dan is a frequent writer and presenter on various substantive topics, including technology and privacy, and in 2019, his book, The Chief Justices, was published. Well, today... Uh, Dan, my friend from uh, Dan, I forgot where you're, what company you're with, but uh, which one company I'm, are you? With? Howard, Howard and Howard Attorneys PLLC. Thank you, thank you. That's too much for me. <laughs> it is. It's, it's a um, mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, compliance in the internet and what's all involved in that and how that interplays with um, making a sale on the internet and all the things that go into that. And there's a lot there, uh, surprisingly yeah. enough. Uh, <laughs> and Dan laughs because he knows it's so big that it's hard to get our arms around it, isn't it, Dan? Yep. Uh, yes. So we're going to talk a little bit about the technical side of it and how compliance plays into that and a little bit about cybersecurity a little bit later and some of the other laws and regulations that go with that. Um, I, I really see what happens on the internet for the insurance industry as, as being three parts. And, and, and Dan, you can kind of throw in here if you think there's actually more, which there probably are three big parts. Let's put it that way. Um, there's the stuff that happens before, um, during and after a sale on the internet, the e-commerce part. Uh, the before is the advertising, which there's another podcast for people to listen to about that. There's right. during during the sale, 
which is the um, disclosures and the applications, all that kind of stuff. And then there's after the sale, which is the payment system and the cybersecurity and, and keeping all this information safe. Would, would you agree that that's pretty much those are the three biggest parts of what's going on online, Dan? I do. And, and, and as you noted, uh, there's so much, uh, you know, taking place and that, that happens here. Uh, for any industry that's online, but for the insurance industry, yeah, the, the, those three are the big keys in the process. And, and as uh, those listening will find out, there's there's much ado about all of this. There is. Uh, uh, I think the thing is with insurance on the internet, the thing we always remember is that insurance is heavily regulated. This isn't like buying um uh, a growling Wookiee mask or the new baby Yoda plush toy online. This is this is a contract that is binding and has a promise of things to be paid out in the future. And so it has a lot of legal connotations to it. Is that a good way to describe it, Dan? It is. It, it really is. Yeah, because so much can go wrong. I mean, if you get the wrong growling uh, Wookiee mask, you're going to just send it back or you don't quite get the magazine subscription that you thought you were gonna get, you're just gonna cancel it. With insurance, there's a lot of ramifications of if something doesn't work the way it's supposed to. So that's why it's so important that compliance become heavily involved in what's going on with e-commerce for, for the insurance industry from the very beginning. So I wanna talk a little bit about the technical side first, because I think what happens with compliance is we think it's all about just the bells and whistles of the sale itself. But the reality is that compliance has to be heavily involved in the technical side so that we understand how the system is working so that we can make sure that everything we need in order to make this sale legit, to make it binding, to make it stand up in a court of law actually works, okay? so. We, you know, what, what, there's so much to this and there's tons of things we worry about on the internet. And when somebody says, well, you know, what do we really care about? Well, the short answer is we care about everything, everything, the website itself, the social media, um, the underbelly of the internet. This is where it gets really um, intense is like the audit trails, character limitations, field limitations, site maps. This is all stuff people who've been out there, they, they use all the time and they don't even realize they're using it. Linkage, special features, privacy requirements are a big one. And cookies, not the good kind that are chocolate chip, the kind that <laughs> leave things on top of your computer or in, buried in your computer. Um, did I miss any of the big things that we need to be concerned with in compliance, Dan? No, that... The, the underbelly is right. There's a lot of pieces to it. And, and uh, you know, one of the things I think a lot of people are starting to see more and more uh, doing part to GDPR and, and the California Privacy Act is those pop-ups that, right, we have cookies on our site and you have to accept uh, the cookie policy. And, you know, none of us probably read those, but, uh, you know, for, for those in the insurance industry, as you said, Katie, we need to understand and make sure that all these things are in alignment and that we're in, in good stead with with not only uh, you know other rules, but also with the regulators of the fifty states that we have to deal with. Well, you bring up a good point, though. Also, is the fact that um, a lot of these guys uh, who click on these things, they don't read them. They they never look at them. And the question is, well, who does read them? Well, you just answered that question. We read them. 
we read all that stuff. Um, I mean, they're, they're really kind of written <laughs> probably more for, from a legal standpoint. Um, I would encourage anybody listening to actually open one of those one of these times. You'd be surprised at what's in those privacy policies, um, what they're doing with your information, what kind of cookies they're putting on top of your into your computer and things like that. I think people would be surprised and might not click on those quite so often. Um, I, I, I can't I, I always think about the ones that I, I think are pretty innocuous and then I read that they're going to sell my information to all of these people under the sun and I'm wondering why I'm getting all this spam email. Have you ever done that, Dan? <laughs> Yeah, I have. And uh, yeah, it's, it, it can be scary, right? It's almost like uh, Stephen King novels. <laughs> Don't read them at night, right? You'd be shocked no. by what you're giving away. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. They'll come <laughs> after you. Um, you know, one of the things is they ask us when we when we ask about all these questions, about all these different facets of the Internet is why should we care? What what's What's the big deal? Everybody does this now. It's not a big deal. Everybody knows how the Internet works. But the reality is from the insurance regulatory standpoint, from the compliance standpoint, we have to worry a lot about that kind of stuff because we have laws and regulations that that uh, mandate how we do certain things. Advertising laws for up front again, um, that's another discussion. Unfair trade acts, which mandate how we do business. Um, and then there's the other side of it. I mean, there's state and federal regulations too. And Dan's gonna talk a little bit about some of the banking regulations. Um, but there's consumer complaints we have to deal with if we don't get it right. Conduct type of things and market implications about how we sell things and those complaints end up on state insurance departments uh, mailboxes and they're like okay now we're going to see why you guys aren't doing business the right way so there's lots of reasons for us to really delve into this and fully understand what we're doing I agree. and i think it i think it's um interesting because i know um i never imagined myself being so savvy as to how many characters i can put in, in inside a website or, you know, like you say, reading the privacy policies or understanding the limitations of, of any of these programs or even what, where things link to. I never imagined that I would have to know all that, but it is important. And the people who help us do that, uh, surprisingly enough, are not necessarily your IT guys who are really more deep dive kind of guys. They like the coding and stuff behind it. It's the internet itself. And I think that's why compliance people spend so much time reading all that stuff, that there's privacy policies, there's the help screens where they tell you exactly how everything operates. I remember when we first started doing business through Facebook, I had to read all of these, these technical things on how Facebook actually worked. And everybody was like, well, what do you mean it works that way? Well, if <laughs> I don't understand how it works, I can't tell my people how to build something. Um, and so I think it's, that's part of being a compliance person. Would you agree with that, Dan? I, I completely agree. And, you know, I, th I think one of the things uh, you kind of hit it on the head when, when the Internet started to be a real uh, force in the insurance industry and in general, all of us, I think, had to, had to become better experts on it. And I think it's really changed. You know, I've, I've had discussions over the years with regulators, for example, about applications that are online that, you know, accomplish the same thing that say a, a life insurance agent might be intaking, right? You know, do you have any diseases, right? Cancer, right? Or, and then they kind of go down a, another checklist. Um, and we've had discussions with some states, for example, about, hey, 
if you're going to put this drop down thing on the on on the internet, you have to submit like every permeation, right, of that your agent might see, and uh, it's a lot to it's a lot to cover, right, and, and and there's a lot of pushback, right, because it's the internet allows us to do things that in person uh, was a different process in some ways. So I, I think, think yeah. That's a, and that's a great segue into to going from the technical side to the actual e-commerce because I think people think of e-commerce just as the sales uh, process itself, but this other stuff feeds into that sales process. And I know that the insurance industry as a whole was a, was a little late to the game with e-commerce. We, we had a lot of concerns. I mean, I think people saw it pop up in uh, real estate sooner Um Yep. selling, you know, Amazon, things like that. Um, but insurance was really worried about a lot of different things. Now, property and casualty, which are your cars and your homes and things like that, I think there was less worry as for those of us who are in the life and health part of it. And it's more about who's actually buying it online because now instead of having an agent sitting there and looking at a person who's buying something, you have to rely on who's ever on the other side of that screen, that they're really who they are. And that gave risk adverse insurance people a lot of angst and heartburn. I don't know about the companies you've worked with, Dan, but that's always the first question I get. Now, how are we going to make sure they're who they say they are and even on property and casualty, if they really own that house or is that really their car and stuff like that? Is, it, is that a good way to put why we kind of were hesitant to jump into this this water? Yeah, I, th I think that was a big part of it. And I, I, you know, the other thing I think that was part of it. And you know, I was at a company that uh, we, we started up a direct auto uh, arm, uh, but also had a full agency, you know, that we acquired uh, for, for auto and home. And I, I think the other thing that, that happened was just the, the, this kind of clash, right, of traditional versus new. And to your point, you know, I think almost every other area, real estate, uh, online banking uh, occurred probably much quicker than insurance. Uh, but I think that was a big part of it, right, is how do you know what, what you're insuring, right? right? In the old days, the agent was in the, in, uh, on Main Street. You, people would come in. The, the agent knew about the farm, he knew about the family, right? And, you know, now you've got some stranger calling and, you know, asking to insure something. Uh, uh, so there, are, there, there, is, there is a lot of that. Uh, I, I think there was that uh, identity theft type of thing that you're talking about that, that was a real concern at the beginning right. for insurance. And, and you bring up a good point. You know, we talk about the internet a lot, but e-commerce also in, includes um, calling calling in and, get, and buying your insurance online because there's an electronic signature that happens with that. So, I mean, e-commerce is, is wider than the internet. So it's not just knowing that, but there's all these other little sidebars that, that get played into that whole e-commerce field. I know that um, uh, the one thing that has become, because especially with everything that's going on in the world right now, is that e-commerce is essential. Uh, insurance companies who have relied on agents to sell everything the agents can't get, even go into the homes right now. And so it's pushed a lot of companies who were kind of on the edge or maybe not even thinking about it into going into e-commerce. And they're trying to find a good way to do that in the world that they live in. And I would say most companies, really the first time they dive into this, they set up their websites and all of their e-commerce functionality to completely mimic their 
paper process. Uh, right. I don't know if that's been your experience, but that's <laughs> kind of what they did with ours. And it's kind of been up to compliance to say, well, you don't have to do it exactly that way. You could do it this way. Uh, and I think that's where the compliance expertise of how those laws are written come into play. It's, yeah, well, this is how we developed in the paperwork world based on the laws. But in the electronic world, we can still fulfill what the law's requirements are without doing some of that other stuff. Is that is that what you have seen too, Dan? I agree with you. And, and uh, you know, it's, 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 it's I, I think you hit it on the head with the pandemic. I think we're seeing that in a lot of, a uh, lot of arenas, right? People are trying to replicate and figure out how you work in a in a different environment, right? Not the old traditional methods. And uh, I have seen that, you know, in a lot of discussions around conference room tables, right? About exactly what you said. You, you know, you don't need to do every step of this, right? You don't need to do this. You don't need to do that, right? It's or there's a different, a different thing. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's it's hard to, you know, people people know what they know, right? And and uh, you look at the education uh, taking place, you know, throughout the country now for younger kids and teenagers. And I think, you know, I think that's a good example, right? Of people are so used to their ways that it's very hard when you're forced to, or, or, or strongly suggested to, you know, move, move into the current, uh, uh, century you know so yeah and into this environment this electronic environment i think uh it's it's worth mentioning that that there's two really big laws that really enable people to start doing e-commerce and one of them is the uh, uniform electronic transaction act which people will hear called ueda that's a federal law and e-sign which is electronic signature again a federal law both of these have enabled us to move forward in this direction in a way that makes sense now that doesn't mean all the underlying laws that still are there to that regulate how a sale happens aren't there it's just now we can do these electronic ways of doing things and have those signatures and have everything we don't have to have a what we call a wet signature with ink um or anything like that because we have different ways, but there's lots of different ways to do electronic signatures. I, I, I am always amazed at my team here where they want to make the person sign on a pad, their actual signature. And I'm like, why do you want to keep all that metadata? Why don't, why don't you just click guys and keep it in an audit trail? You don't have to have all of that. And I will tell you, it's terrible to know those laws because I don't know about you, but when I go into a grocery store and I have to sign for my credit card, it irritates me every time. I'm like, I don't need to do this. Just give me a click, guys, okay? Um, So it's just, it is one of those things that there are lots of different ways to do electronic signatures. And, And as a compliance person, you need to be aware of all those different ways because there are different applications that are gonna require a different type of signature. And I think the bigger issue with the signature is that disclosure of what you're signing. That is so important on this e-commerce world is that what the law says is that that person has to be aware of exactly what they're signing. Yep. So you can't just say, click this and we're done. You have to tell them, what am I signing? What is that person when they click that? Now, does that mean they always read it? No. But when we get to a court of law and, and, and Dan, as, as an attorney, will tell you, when we get a court of law, we have to have all the proof we can have in front of uh, the, the uh, 
judge in order to tell them, hey, this is this is what we told them. This is what we said they were going to get. This is what we said was going to happen when they clicked on this. And I, I think it's important to have those audit trails and those very, very distinct disclosures and, and make sure that all of that stuff flows so that that person, that consumer knows exactly what they're buying. When they have an agent across from them, they can ask a lot more questions. On the internet, you have to rely on what's printed on the screen to help walk them through that. And so I think um, from that perspective, we really try to find a way that that if a person's buying something, we have a legitimate contract, a legal contract with that individual so that they know what they bought and we can say, here's what we're going to do for you. Is that is that cover pretty much all those big areas of that, Dan? It, it does, and I, I completely agree with you, Katie, about uh, making sure that people, you know, that the, some, some of these programs will have time spaces or you have to at least scroll or do other things. Um, and I've had many conversations over the years with, with clients uh, in the insurance space about, you know, making sure that the customer signs, you know, that, that they really understand what they're signing. Uh, there's nothing worse, right, than to have some, like you said, just where it just goes right to signature and uh, uh, you, you can jump through those things. But the, the, the issue then becomes uh, you, you may not have a meeting of the minds. You know, people are responsible for what they sign, you know, that they're attesting to that. But at the same time, you, you don't want to have stuff that's that's uh, uh, should be called out and, and, and that they're just signing uh, without without thinking it through. Like you said, you know, in the old world, uh, over phone or in, in person with the agent, you could ask questions, you know, Hey, this thing here says X or Y, what about this? Um, um, and, and so we struggle with that. And, you know, so, some, uh, organizations as well, want to, want to accept or allow things like DocuSign. For example, my law firm doesn't allow us to sign things with DocuSign, uh, just because there's been issues or questions in the past, you know, some, some issue came up about, you know, did somebody sign something, et cetera. So. Yeah, um, I think, I think it's a real concern. And I think that um, people worry about fraud and things like that, but it makes it, it's also a trust issue. This is where as companies, we are trying to build a trust, trusting relationship with these individuals. And if you don't do it right, you will ruin your brand. You will ruin that trust factor. And as you know, anything on the internet, anything, social media, you screw that up. It, it, it goes out there and everybody reads about it. So it's really important to have that part of the sale really um, done well and be customer friendly and make sure that they understand what they're getting. So that's all the front end application process. And I know that Dan deals a lot with the back end, which is how do we take that payment in a secure way? And how do we make sure that that individual's money is safe? And not only that, how do we make sure that their information is safe? So do you want to talk a little bit about that, Dan, the back end of this? Sure. So uh, a lot of the things that we talked about and you uh, discussed in the front half uh, with respect to privacy and with respect to uh, knowing who your customer is, uh, come into play on the back end uh, in, in substantial ways. And we're going to talk about a few of those. We'll start with a couple of the banking laws and uh, these apply whether you're uh, dealing with a bank and bank secrecy or you're dealing with insurance or you're dealing with a mortgage or other things where uh, the, the, the person on the other end of the uh, transaction 
the, the consumer, whether it's an insurance consumer or somebody else, uh, we need to understand, as, as Katie said, it's much harder in the digital world, uh, but it, th- these things also exist in the, in the paper world, but uh, the internet just creates additional ideas. A couple of ideas, uh, uh, laws and regulations that really come into play when we're talking about uh, bank privacy and secrecy uh, are known as anti-money laundering or AML laws. And there's also know your customer laws. And one of the things that, that uh, you know, I, th- I think is different than, than some other countries is that we don't have uh, privacy embedded in our constitution. Uh, there, there's a big discussion, as we're talking about in the first half, about the, the information we give up uh, in exchange for the luxury of having uh, the world's uh, most brilliant, uh, quickest computer in history in, in, in our phones. Um, uh, but what we've seen over the years is, is, is starting uh, really in the insurance industry, specifically to insurance, was the Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act of 1999 came into play. Uh, that that talked about privacy notices and about the usages of information. And so we have Gramm-Leach-Bliley applying. Uh, but, uh, and it has an overlay with, with AML and with Know Your Customers. Uh, AML is, is really designed to stop money laundering and other nefarious uh, uh, uses of money, cleaning money. And so the anti-money laundering laws require uh, insurance companies and other financial institutions to, to track who they're dealing with and the amounts of cash being transacted. And there are certain reports if, if, the, if they exceed a certain threshold. Uh, and then the know your customer laws are intended to permit a financial institution or other business the opportunity to verify the identities of its clients, as Katie talked about earlier. Um, and again, on the internet, Katie, you'd probably agree that it, it's much more difficult to really know who's on the other side. And, yeah. and so we, we have those issues. And you have people um, filling out stuff for other people as a favor, you know, um, especially right. when you're talking selling insurance to older people who are not tech savvy, which is not as big a concern anymore because the biggest market growing on the Internet right now is that age of 45 to 75. So it's not as big a concern as it used to be. But when you have people entering in their financial information on there, there is a concern as to are they are they supposed to have that information? And what do you know? How can I keep it safe once I get it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and going going back to to the point you just raised about people filling out other people's applications, I had a sad case uh, when I was a young litigator. Uh, was was a doctor in in the Chicago area had applied for uh, life insurance and disability insurance. Uh, his wife was the one that was his office manager. She actually sat with the agent and provided the information. Um, when when she was asked about uh, waiver of premium, which which for those uh, students who don't know what that is, you can sign uh, with life insurance and disability policies a provision that for an additional premium per month, in the event that you become disabled and can't pay, uh, the policy becomes paid up and and the insurance company pays your premiums going forward. They they, they remain in full place. Uh, sadly, on, on New Year's Day, uh, the, the doctor went out to get his newspaper in his driveway. Uh, he slipped on some ice and had a, a double brain hematoma. And, and so it came down to, you know, uh, you know, did, did the agent back in those days, Katie, you can appreciate that there wasn't a checkbox that said he actually offered waiver. Right. 
but he, you know, went through all of his uh, policies and procedures. And so uh, it is important um, in that regard. And then connected kind of with AML and know your customer, uh, something that really came to the forefront, I think, uh, post 9-11, but it's been in existence for decades. It's the Office of Foreign Asset Control, OFAC. And what OFAC is, is it's a, a part of the uh, U.S. Department of Treasury. And uh, what it looks for is is transactions uh, that have to do with uh, na- uh, nations, sovereignties that are uh, banned from doing business with the United States or on sanctions, uh, such as uh, the Iranian sanctions that were just implemented again or re-implemented uh, by, by President Trump in the, in the last few days, uh, as well as individuals. And again, it really uh, became a focus, I think, for the insurance industry and banking and, and other industries that are impacted uh, post 9-11. Uh, but uh, I, I think w- we can all agree that the insurance industry really hasn't had a whole uh, ton other than maybe on some commercial ocean marine uh, policies that have to do with porting in, in sanctioned places like Cuba. But from an individual standpoint, uh, I'm not aware that any uh, terrorist has been found to have uh, tried to insure their life or have somebody else insure them for substantial amounts of money. Katie, do you agree? I agree. I think we always worry about it from the annuity standpoint because they could deposit the money in and then take out clean money. So it's of a laundering type of situation. Um, but have I heard of any that? No, I don't think. I think because we put a lot of fail safes in. Again, where the compliance person comes into uh, play on this kind of stuff, we tell our people, hey, you need to put these things into place so this doesn't happen to us. So I think that's a a credit to the compliance industry that we've really helped guide people in the right direction on these things. I agree. I agree. And and for those that are going to start careers or are in careers in insurance, there's software and things that screen. It would be an almost impossible task for a company of any size to go through that list of, of names and various spellings of, of people's names and, and there's a lot of false positives. So, right. Right. So, so, so that's some of the banking laws. I want to talk uh, briefly uh, about PCI compliance. And so uh, for those that take credit cards and again, uh, a lot of insurance companies still to this day, a lot of life companies uh, still uh, take only ACHs or checks. Uh, they don't take credit cards, but there are more and more. Uh, again, if you're buying uh, your insurance online, uh, more than likely you're paying by some form of credit card. And so uh, PCI stands for Payment Card Industry, and then there's Data Security Standards, DSS. It's a set of security standards designed to ensure all companies that accept, process, store, or transmit credit card information maintain a secure environment. And again, this is an important step. I think uh, you know some companies, and I've had some clients and discussions uh, that kind of brush off uh, PCI compliance. Uh, I had a had a CEO of a client once ask me, "What's the big deal? We're ninety percent compliant, or you know, we did most of it." Uh, the answer is is if you are an insurance company reliant and dependent upon payments monthly by your customer base and the clearinghouses that that process your credit cards uh, shut you down. You've got a real problem on your hands. You have no revenue coming in the door. And I, I, I once had a client that was was in the uh, T-shirt and printing business, and uh, they were not PCI compliant. 
they were subject to a, a scandal uh, and a, and a, a you know a fraudulent tra- transaction. But what happened there was they accepted uh, three different credit cards for like twenty five hundred dollars, which is the limit before bells go off, and uh, fr- from the same address, different numbers, and, and did not do any of the the PCI matching, knowing the customer, verifying. And uh, their clearinghouse uh, informed them they were shutting them down, and and again panic ensued. So, something to keep in mind. And well, and I think that's why I, I know we all get irritated when we have to put all this information in when we pay for something. But that really is about that match uh, right. to make sure we're, that we're who we claim we are. Um, Dan, when we when we put all that information in, and we get it all in there. Um, I think as a compliance professional, one of the last steps is what do we do with all that information? I mean, we have to keep it secure, correct, and make sure that Absolutely. nobody else can get to it. And, and that uh, is, a, is a perfect segue into kind of the cybersecurity and privacy realm. Uh, privacy has been around a long time. As I mentioned earlier, Graham Leach-Bliley uh, was, was uh, enacted in 1999. And privacy notices started to appear in everybody's mailboxes. Shortly thereafter, I was uh, at an insurer and uh, drafted their first privacy notices. Um, but but you know the privacy goes beyond the notices. Uh, to Katie's point, you have to have a robust internal system. Uh, and again, it's like understanding Facebook. You have to understand what the information is being collected, where it's stored who it's being shared with, because that's uh, more and more a focus of regulators. They want to know any transfers you're making. And it doesn't matter if you're under GDPR, which is the European Union law, or your California consumer privacy. But in, in insurance, uh, again, insurance is like every other company, but it's like on steroids for regulation and compliance. Right, Katie? Yeah, <laughs> it's a, yeah big time. And, and, and so a couple of, of things have happened in the last few years. Uh, in the cybersecurity world that uh, are really impactful in the industry. The first is that uh, the New York uh, Department of Financial Services a couple of years ago issued New York Regulation f- uh, 500. And again, this has to do with the things that Katie was talking about. Uh, in addition to having a privacy policy and, and notices, it talks about a robust uh, assessment on an annual basis, a regular basis, it includes reporting to boards of directors and to officers and management who are responsible for ensuring the process is in place. It has to do with uh, third-party vendors of any kind, whether it's a law firm, accounting firm, uh, an agent, a TPA, uh, you, you name it, that they have robust processes and policies in place to protect the information you're sharing with them. And then it has uh, designations of certain officers within your within the organization and an annual attesting uh, that the policies and procedures are being followed. And the New York reg really uh, uh, beat uh, the National Association of Insurance Commissioners to the punch, the NEIC, which is the uh, association of all regulators throughout the country. There's 51 plus a couple of territories. So I don't, I don't know what the exact number is, 57 or 58. Uh, but uh, shortly after the New York uh, regs came out, uh, the NEIC uh, issued a model cybersecurity and privacy law. And again, it has to do with the same types of things that the New York law has to do with making sure that all this data that's being collected 
uh, all the data that, that insurance companies pride themselves on having from cradle to uh, death uh, for their customers, that it's being maintained, secured, uh, that there are policies and procedures in place to ensure that the wrong people don't get this information to be able to act on it. And so uh, it's really had a big impact on the industry. I think um, probably, uh, you know, my, my sense is that Sarbanes-Oxley for those companies that that really needed to uh, deal with that back in the early 2000s when it came out and beef up their accounting departments. I think the cyber aspects of, of business in the insurance industry, and again, with, with all the stuff that Katie was talking about with e-commerce and the internet, and just the, the, the more and more the fact that we're all working remotely, has really, I think, uh, uh, brought uh, a robustness to, uh, to, to, to this arena as well, and has, has added cost and uh, procedures to every company that uh, participates in the insurance industry. Yeah, I would say probably most of them have their own, uh, you know, privacy officer now. I think that's one of the requirements. And then they have a whole department. I know we do that. They just look at cybersecurity because it's not just your financial data. It's your health data, too. I mean, that seems to be a big target anymore for some of these uh, these break-ins, I guess, like or hacking in, you know. Um, is that they want your medical history and it's it's really about fraud and things like that. So it's it's kind of scary from that standpoint. But I think what's really um, a good thing is the number of compliance people that know these things inside and out and they help their companies build those strong cybersecurity departments and build those strong protocols that are in place so that you feel confident when you go online and you enter all that very, very personal information that it is going to be secure. Because if you can't have that assurance, you're not going to buy online. Um, you have that assurance with the agent because you've built a relationship with them on a face-to-face basis. You know where their office is. You're going to be pounding on their door if you hear that they've been talking about something. But so you have to have that same trust on the internet. And I think that's that's what's important. Well, Dan, we're coming up close to time. Is there, is there I think we're a little bit over. Is there, um, is there something really that you want to make sure that our listeners fully understand about a compliance role in this whole world of e-commerce and all that it involves? I, I would just say that the, the, the world of compliance, in, in my view, uh, I know you've, you've been in the industry a long time, I have too, is, is that it's become more exciting, I think, in the last decade than probably ever. I think that we're seeing innovation and products and, and issues that, you know, are, are butting up against, you know, 150-year-old uh, laws in, in each of the states or, or however old their, their laws are. And so I think it's an exciting time for those that are looking to uh, dive into the compliance arena. I think I think the internet and, and privacy issues and, and just the technology issues are uh, fascinating and, and something that will continue to evolve as we mature in this space. I agree. And and I would encourage all of our listeners next time you're out on Amazon or out uh, buying something on the on the Internet that you take a moment and read that privacy policy and you take a moment and read some of those things on there. Uh, again, like Dan said, don't do it late at night. This is kind of like a Stephen King novel. Um, and, and really see what you are giving away. 
uh, you will be surprised. But just think of that every time that even for those companies, not insurance, they have some compliance people there who are, are making sure every other ducks are in a row and that they're not going to get fined because the bottom line of all this, if it goes wrong, insurance companies could be put out of business. And uh, it just it can destroy somebody pretty quickly in today's world. So uh, any parting words, Dan, before we, we uh, head out and start working on the Internet again? No, but I've enjoyed this very much, Katie, as always, talking with you and chatting about uh, insurance. Uh, I think we're both uh, probably considered insurance geeks, and that's, that's not a bad thing. It is not. And, and unfortunately, now we can add computer geeks to that. So I don't know if that's <laughs> right. a good thing. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> well, Dan, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this. I've learned a lot. And I, I hope our group that is listening will have um, will have tweaked their interest in all the com that goes into the compliance on the Internet. So thank you very much. Thank you.